The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm looking forward to getting into the Word, mainly because this season provokes so many uh, different uh, elements of Scripture that I think are easily overlooked. And I'll, I'll give you kind of a, a personal favorite passage here as we open up, and you'll, you'll kind of get on the same page with me real quick. But here's a few things that you're going to find in the Scripture as we get into the Word. I mean, these are things that you can look forward to, or they're a bit of a, a milestone, so to speak, as we move through the Scripture together. Uh, one, we're going to find what God is giving this Christmas. I mean, that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, right? It's kind of a joke. Uh, but God is a giver of gifts. That is a wonderful element of the Scripture that needs to be embraced. Uh, the Word promises that even our faith requires that we believe that He's a giver or a rewarder of those that are seeking after Him. And uh, we're going to see what it is that God is uh, giving, what's on His Christmas gift list, so to speak. Obviously, again, tongue-in-cheek. But it's an important thing to, to know that thing that God is giving or the things, so to speak, we'll see. Another thing that you're going to find is uh, what always brings about success. And, and that's a good thing because we're called to be successful. Uh, so there are elements in the scripture that as we apply them to our lives, as we apply them to the things that we would face and deal with, uh, we open up a way for success to be present, even uh, at times when success seems to be very far away and very difficult to uh, achieve. And then... We're going to find a third thing before we uh, uh, part ways this morning, and it's why your thoughts are so important. And, and this is a really big deal. As we uh, uh, get to this part of the scripture, I think you'll be in agreement uh, that it's a, a high priority to see to it that our thoughts are, uh, are tended to and cared for properly according to the scripture. So I want to open up here with a passage of scripture that is a personal favorite of mine. Now, it's a personal favorite for a number of reasons. One, first and foremost, is the content. What it contains is, is, is really a, a powerful piece of scripture. The other element that I'm drawn to and attracted to is the season that it represents. Now, the season that it represents is the, the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, you know, everything that we would celebrate with Christmas. And as this time, time rolls around and, and the world is stopping and acknowledging uh, this season, I think it's worth taking a look at some of the elements of the scripture that involve the birth of our King Jesus. Now, I want to give you this passage. You can uh, write it down or you can turn there in your Bibles, but it's from Luke chapter 1, and it's a, a, a long passage of scripture. You can read it in your own times. We'll pull a few pieces from it and paraphrase a little bit, uh, but from Luke chapter 1, what you're going to see here is a man standing and delivering a word of prophecy. So he's speaking on behalf of God, revealing the will of God in this situation. Now, the man that's speaking is the father of John the Baptist. And it's a really interesting thing to consider because there's a lot of moving parts here that make it just kind of fun, fun to think about, fun to read between the lines, and, and also some evidence that uh, uh, a lot of the things that we're reading here would have been uh, headlines, so to speak. So the father of John the Baptist is a relatively famous guy. I mean, you're dealing with a high priest. You're dealing with somebody that has a lot of, of political position in the community. And as a result of a, a certain circumstance, he's been unable to speak, right? Now, insert Pastor joke here. Imagine a pastor who can't talk, right? 
And I know that would all would make you very sad, wouldn't it? It would be a terrible thing to think about. But here's a man who is his, his called to, to speak the word of God to the people of Israel, and his mouth has been shut. Now, it's been shut by the angel because of the, the circumstance of John the Baptist being born in the first place. There are things there that are really worth looking at in your own time that, that read uh, very entertaining and also are really awesome pieces of history. So what's funny is here's this well-known person, this, this high-ranking official who's had this uh, uh, monumental event take place in their life, and, and then this event is lifted. All of a sudden now he's able to speak. So what you have to realize here is that not only have people noticed this, but it's kind of a big deal. It's not just the people who were around that noticed it and somebody decided, hey, we should write that down because that was pretty poetic. But this man had a platform. He had a platform and people were watching his life and all of a sudden when his ability to speak is, is returned to him, he stands and he delivers the word from the Lord. And it's a really big deal. And this is what he says, as people are paying attention to this really big deal, he begins to speak, and you'll find it somewhere around verse 68. Luke chapter 1 is a long chapter. And he, he speaks words uh, uh, that are in the following, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us, just as he spoke through the mouths of the holy prophets, which have spoken from the beginning that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He does this to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to Abraham, our father. He goes on to speak of that oath, that he would grant unto us that being delivered out of the hands of our enemies, we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of the days of our lives. That's, a, that's a, a really wonderful and poetic thing, but when you consider what's being spoken here, it, it, it inspires a tremendous awareness of what's going on, and that which is going on is the fulfillment of God's promise. Everything that God's promised about the coming of the Messiah, the fulfillment of his word, that he would bring deliverance and redemption to his people, and by the way, that's you and that's me, is coming to fulfillment at this time. As... His mouth is open and he begins to speak this word. He's testifying of the coming of Jesus and the result, the result of the coming of Jesus being freedom and deliverance. That God would fulfill his promise and we'd be saved from our enemies and as the scripture puts it, from the hand of all of those who hate us. And as you continue to read this and you see how this comes to pass, it, it, it gets even more and more engaging and more exciting and begins to touch my life and hopefully your life in deeper and more wonderful ways as how this comes to pass is identified, that God would grant unto us, that's me and you, that when we are delivered from the hands of our enemies, we might serve God without fear in holiness and in righteousness all of our days. I mean, I pause on that last part and, and realize that the gospel is being identified here, the coming of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of God's promise, and that fulfillment is the removal of all fear and anxiety from my life. So that the result can be I'm able to serve God in righteousness and in holiness for my entire existence. 
And as we take a look at what's going on here, all of a sudden, you know, the celebration of Christmas time becomes uh, something that we can uh, acquaint our own lives with, the introduction of peace and joy, the peace and joy that results of the removal of fear and anxiety, at the removal of a sense of, of uh, worthlessness and now a sense of worth and value and an empowerment to actually accomplish something great for God is introduced into our lives. When you take a look at this, I don't think that Christmas time inspires thoughts of, of fear and anxiety. Rather, it's the opposite. It's the removal of fear and anxiety and the result of joy and peace. And it's not just because we've thought, what is it that could make this season desirable? What is it that would make this a more marketable thing to focus on? It hasn't been established through focus groups and, and marketing. Rather, it's the result of God's work. When you remove fear and anxiety from a person's life, the result is joy and peace. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here because I think that when you take a look at the gospel and you begin to see that this removal of fear and anxiety is at the very foundation and the heart of what God is doing through the sending of our Messiah and the birth of our King Jesus you begin to see it in more than one location. You begin to see it throughout the scripture. It becomes to be the very point of what God is doing at all times. Uh, here's a passage from the Psalms, Psalm 27, verse 1. It speaks of Jesus. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Therefore, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Therefore, of what shall I be afraid? I begin to see now more and more through the scripture that the introduction of Jesus into my life is the absence of, of fear and anxiety. The more he's present, the less that there's room for fear and corruption to affect my thinking and my decision making. I mentioned before that we would find out what God is giving this Christmas. I want to give you a passage of scripture, and this is really where we build the message. Laying a little bit of base is something that is, is good to do so that we are all on the same page. And I think that mission has been accomplished. Now, what I would like to do is find out what God is doing and how he's doing it in our lives. And I think we'll see something great from the, the verse that you'll find in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, I want to look specifically at verse 7. Now, I mentioned to you before, we're going to find out what God is giving, obviously trying to pull on the Christmas gift-giving season there. But I want us to take a look and read specifically not only what's being said, but how it's being said to realize what's going on. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it reads like this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind. Now, I can take this passage of Scripture and I can begin to take a look at it from multiple perspectives. And the perspective that I want us to look at it from this morning is the idea that God is not giving fear, but rather he is giving the following. Gift number one, power. Gift number two, love. Gift number three, soundness of mind. I mean, I'm not uh, convinced that these gifts are in any particular order for any reason. Perhaps they are. God is very intentional like that. But what I see here is that in response to fear and anxiety, God is giving things, and he's giving more than one thing. He's giving three things. Those three gifts are power, love, and soundness of mind. 
I take that passage of Scripture and I begin to examine the things that God is giving to me in order for my life to be free from the bondage of anxiety, and it affects the way that I think and I see things. It affects the way that I pray. And Father, if you're giving these gifts, I want to receive them. As you give power, I want to receive power. As you give love, I want to receive love. As you give soundness of mind, I want to receive soundness of mind. Because what good is a gift given if it's not received? As God is giving these things to us, I want my heart and my mind to be open and receptive, that they not just be things that are understood and known, but that they're things that are received, that they are embraced, that they're brought into my life and put to practice in order to get the promised result, that promised result being the freedom or the purging of fear and anxiety. And you begin to see these things in the Scripture as things that God is indeed giving. I, I want to give you a, a couple of passages of Scripture for these gifts here. Gift number one being power. Now, I'll tip my hand and tell you it's a personal favorite verse of Scripture. It's, it's a, one that I'm a big fan of personally. It meant a lot to me when I read it as a new believer, and it means a lot to me today. And it's Jesus speaking to you and to me. It's him speaking to his disciples and making a really wonderful declaration from the Gospel of Luke Chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus is speaking to, to his disciples. That would be you, that would be me. And he says, I've given you power. What a great way to open a statement. And what an amazing thing to identify that this power isn't just something that you have, but that it's been given to you. That would line up with the rest of the word, that God is indeed giving power and that he's giving this power for a purpose and a reason. According to what we read in Timothy, he's giving power in order to eradicate fear and anxiety from your life. And Jesus would continue to speak here in Luke chapter 10 and say, I have given you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and all of the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Uh, I mean, I've pondered that passage of scripture over the years of being a believer, you know, wondering the representation and the, the metaphoric value and all of these things of serpents and scorpions, but I love that it's all-inclusive. I mean, I think that the poetry is a wonderful thing to consider. The animation is a great thing. The illustration for your mind is a, a really wonderful thing to provoke imagination and thought, but I like that God doesn't leave it vague, but that he goes ahead and just buttons it up and says, you know what, let's just go with all of the power of darkness. I've given you power over all of the enemy, over all of darkness. That there's nothing that exists that is corrupt, that is dark, that desires to bring about injury or resistance to the call of God on your life that has the capacity to injure you all because of the power that God has given you. Just the idea of being empowered is, is a, a wonderful step toward the freedom from fear and anxiety. It's a weird thing to ask or a weird thing to bring up in church, but I think it's worth asking and I think it's worth thinking about. Can you recall a time in your life where you were afraid? Can you recall a time in your life where fear attempted to, to put a grip or a paralysis on your, your thoughts and your decision making with an attempt to corrupt that decision that would be made to probably influence in a way that would be ultimately destructive even though seemingly in the moment it might have a, the, a false promise of deliverance? 
In those moments of fear, when we look back on them, when we consider them, you can ask yourself questions like this. Why did I feel afraid? There's a pretty good chance that you felt afraid in that situation because you felt powerless. Because you felt there was nothing that you could do. Because you felt like you you had no influence to direct the outcome of that situation. And because there was no ability to influence the outcome of that situation, you were therefore by definition powerless in that situation. And it opened up the door for fear and anxiety to corrupt the direction and the decisions that were made in that moment. Jesus is removing that inferiority from your life when he says, I've given you power. There's never a time, never a moment, no matter what's faced, no matter what's dealt with, where a believer is without the ability to influence the outcome of a situation. All because Jesus has given you power. I like the idea of of this, and I I enjoy seeing it animated in the Scripture so that I have greater example. And, And I think there's no greater example, in my opinion, than what you'll find as a description of Jesus Christ himself from the, the, the book of Acts chapter 10. Now, we've used this verse in the past. I want to use it again today. Acts 10, 38. Acts chapter 10, 38, speaking of Jesus, it, it says, Now you know Jesus of Nazareth. Now the description begins. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about then doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This passage of Scripture now begins to provide wonderful description to the numerous examples and accounts that animate the ministry of Jesus Christ. When I read about him laying hands upon the blind and their sight being restored, or or the sick, or the lame, or the dead, and them recovering, when I see those things, I now see a wonderful written explanation of what's going on right here from Acts chapter 10. That in all of these situations, some of them seeming more hopeless than others, I mean, one being the the blind, the other being the lame, one being the sick, and and one being the deaf, and then you get to this ultimate hopelessness of the dead, and you see Jesus never once walking into a situation and feeling that there's nothing that can be done. You'll never see Jesus through the gospel walk into a room and be like, you know what, sorry, if I'd have gotten here yesterday, maybe. Maybe. But today, sorry, it's too late. But for you and for I, we have the ultimate animation, the ultimate example, a display of how no matter how hopeless a situation can seem, it's never without hope. All because of this wonderful impartation of power that there's absolutely nothing that the power of God cannot overcome. And it's the same power in the same measure that would be bestowed upon my life and your life when Jesus looks at you and says, I've given you power. I've given you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Never is there a moment in the believer's life where they are without options. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here that I think is important to, to utilize and to focus on. And Now, this would be a message in and of itself, and it has been in the past and will be in the future. It's just not today. What I'd like to do is give it to you for your notes and allow you to take a look at it in your own time because I believe this is where power is released through the believer's life, and it's in 
the, the release of the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, not just in your life, but through your life. Now, oftentimes in our vocabulary in, in church, we refer to these things as gifts of the Holy Spirit or manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But I want to give you a passage of scripture that has a list of these things that's really worth looking at, and I'll tell you why. And for your notes, you're welcome to turn there if you'd like, but I want to ask you to stay engaged with the rest of the message. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is writing, and you've got to keep in mind that when Paul's writing, he's writing to churches, right? So he's writing to believers, so that means he's writing to me. And when Paul's writing to me, he opens up with this really interesting statement as it concerns 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and its contents. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be unaware. I think that's an interesting thing to just pause and, and look at. That means that it would be very easy for a believer, a Christian, remember he's writing to Christians, he's writing to churches, to be completely unaware that there are spiritual gifts. I think that there's a lot of that going on in the church today where, where there are people that are unaware of the empowerment that God's placed upon their life to carry out and accomplish his will. And as Paul writes about these things, he goes on to talk about the gifts. He says there's a variety of gifts, but they're all from the same Holy Spirit. That uh, There's a variety of ministries, but all under one Lord, under one headship. That's King Jesus. That there's a variety of the effects of these gifts, but the same God working all things through all people. And, and each one being given this manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let me tell you what I don't believe that means. I don't believe that means every person gets one. I think that means everyone is a candidate for the Holy Spirit to work through at any given moment and at all times. That there's not super Christians or gifted ones and ungifted ones, but that there are simply believers that are walking in the leadership of, the, of their King Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And at any moment, that individual is a candidate to see that power released through their life. I want to give you a, a, an example here that, that Paul is writing about so that you can take a look at it in your own time. Paul goes on to talk about these different manifestations. Now remember, this is the power that we've been given in order to, to be able to bring solution into any situation, no matter how hopeless. He goes on to, to give a, a bit of a list of these manifestations or these gifts, these displays of power that bring about solution into the problems and the circumstances that we'll face and deal with. Uh, one being the word of wisdom and, and knowing that there's an issue. One being the word of knowledge and knowing what to do in a situation. Uh, another being uh, faith. Faith being a spiritual gift is a really wonderful thing to consider. You want to know what, what really lights my fires about coming into an awareness that faith is a spiritual gift? That means it can be given. And I know a lot of people that need faith. And I don't just walk past them and think, well, it's hopeless. But I walk past them and think, oh, I can give you everything that you need. <laughs> because I believe that God is a giver of gifts. And he's called me to be a catalyst for that gift giving. And let faith flow through me into those lives that are in desperate need of it. Uh, another one of these gifts is healing. I mean, that's one that I think churches are, are really drawn to, right? I mean, I know people that will stand and cheer when you talk about healing, and they'll get up and walk out the door when you talk about tongues. I mean, uh, you can't pick and choose, right? I mean, it just is a thing, so you've got to be careful there. And I'm not uh, attempting to offend if that's frustrating. I would like to talk to you if you're offended by that. 
Another thing on this list here is the effecting of miracles. Well, I mean, that's really cool because the effecting of miracles is in and of itself a, a unique thing. When I think about healing, and, and I, I cannot think of healing outside of it being miraculous, but yet not all miracles are healing, right? I mean, uh, someone who's sick, recovering from that sickness, that's a wonderful miracle of healing. But a Red Sea parting so that you can make your way to safety, and then all of your enemies being consumed before your eyes, well, no one got healed. In fact, a lot of people perished, but it's pretty miraculous. So I would say in that category, you know, all, all healings are miraculous, but not all miracles are healing. And that's why this wonderful uh, addition of this manifestation of power is identified as the effecting of miracles. And you have the, the distinguishing of spirits. And if your Bible says discernment or something, cross that out and put distinguishing of spirits. Because we take discernment today and make it as if it's judgment. I've never met a Christian and, and talked to them about their life and had them think that they had poor judgment, right? Because the scripture says a fool's ways are always right in his own eyes. That means we all think we're right all the time. And, and I'm at the top of that list, unfortunately. So what it is, it's not just judgment, but rather it's identifying what spirit is at work. And this is a really necessary thing, especially in today's culture, where a lot of the, the activity spiritually that's going on is packaged neat and nice. Just like the scripture would declare that the devil himself will go around disguised as an angel of light. Uh, it's something that we ought to be aware of for the purpose of knowing what we've been empowered to accomplish and live out with our lives. Being able to tell who's at work in any situation. Is it God or is it our enemy? And then you'll see tongues and the interpretation of tongues listed on there. Now here's what's really interesting to me. These are the things that if you take the gospel of Jesus Christ and you begin to write out all of the things that we would just call miracles, the things that we would identify as signs and wonders, the things that we, we long to see in, in released in ministry, the, the, the healings and the deliverance, all of these things are one or a combination of those gifts that we just read. The same empowerment, the same anointing that Jesus would walk in when you read Acts chapter 10 and you know Jesus, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. That same Holy Spirit and that same power is bestowed upon our lives today to do that same work. And as you begin to look at the miracles and you begin to identify them as, wow, that was a word of wisdom. Wow, that was a word of knowledge. When men drug a woman caught in adultery and threw her at Jesus' feet and said, what are we supposed to do testing him? He didn't just have a good moment where it was like, oh man, that kind of worked out right. That was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that he would speak a word of knowledge into that situation and that, that everyone would be shut down in their efforts to trap him in that moment. That's the same manifestation that is imparted to my life to handle circumstances and situations where there's provocations and entrapment. Jesus' life is not meant to be set before me as, as something that is unobtainable or unachievable. Rather, it's the example of how my life is meant to look. That I'm meant to walk in that same anointing. That I have access to the same Holy Ghost to provide the same word of knowledge when challenged. To provide the same word of wisdom when there's no direction. To provide faith when it's absent. To impart that healing when it's necessary and the effecting of miracles where it's needed. To distinguish what spirit is at work and therefore bring about the deliverance from bondage that people are in desperate need of. And to function and operate in every manifestation of the Holy Spirit. 
That's power. And that kind of power being bestowed upon my life positions me to never be without options at any moment in my life. It closes the door to fear and anxiety. We always have a plan A that can be put to work, and that plan A is the Spirit of Jesus Christ at work in and through my life. So that's gift number one, right? To get anxiety out of our life, the gift of, of power bestowed upon your life so that we never are without an option. And then the, the second gift here being that gift of love. Uh, that gift of love manifested in and through our life is a wonderful and powerful thing in and of itself. It, it leaves zero room for fear and anxiety to operate. I'll give you a, a passage of scripture that is, is worth noting and that is uh, from the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It speaks of love and its power and its effects. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, I don't think anything could sum up the power of love more than this. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. I think that that by itself reveals to us why God would bestow this wonderful gift upon us. If the point of the gospel is to remove the fear and anxiety that corrupts our decision-making so that we can stand firm and choose what is right and pleasing to God, then it would make sense that God would equip me or gift me with that which drives fear out. That his perfect love would do so. And the reason why love would be so necessary in any situation or circumstance is not just the, the wonders of its removal of fear and anxiety, but that its promised results are success. I'll give you a passage of scripture here. I mentioned we would find what always brings about success, and it's from the uh, book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, where you'll see these wonderful descriptions of what love is. And in the closing of this description around verse 8, you'll see, you'll see the following words, that love never fails. Well, as God is equipping me with power so that I always have options and I'm never in a place where I don't have a plan A that can be executed, he's also positioning me and equipping me with a fuel and a motivation that always promises to succeed. Now, success is relative. Some of the greatest successes in my life the world would look at and identify as failures. But the only opinion that I care about as it concerns success is Jesus's. I mean, consider this as an example, if that seems a bit like a riddle. Uh, if your call was to come and, and deliver, uh, build and establish the church, and that call ended with being crucified in front of the people that you were called to leave, you could call that an epic fail. But the reality is that was the ultimate success. So as you consider your life and the things that are success and the things that are failure, what you need to ask yourself is who's deciding what's what here? Because I couldn't care less what the world says about my life as it concerns success and failure. The only opinion that I'm concerned with is the opinion of the one that I'll stand before and give account for every word that I speak and all that I do. His opinion is what matters. And as we live out our lives equipped with power and equipped with love that promise to succeed, that purging of fear and anxiety is God's promise to fulfill. And in his faithfulness, he'll see it through. So gift number one being the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, gift number two being the very presence and essence of God himself, that being love, which drives out and casts out fear and anxiety. And then you have the wonderful gift number three there, 
the soundness of mind. It's pretty incredible when you consider this passage of Scripture and just how perfect it is in every aspect of its existence. If you were to take into my life and supply me with power, supply me with love, and supply me with soundness of mind, I can't imagine that there would be any room for fear or anxiety to prevail. The perfection of the scripture has me in awe at, uh, every time we open up the book. I mean, when we begin to look at this and examine what it is that God's brought into our lives, it's absolute in its perfection. It's absolute in its promise. And when yoked to God's faithfulness, it's absolute in its results. Let me open with this as we talk about this third gift. That One, first of all, healthy thinking is always going to come from God. There's a reason why the scripture has passages like this from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. You have been given the mind of Christ. Why would I need to be given the mind of Christ? Well, because mine has issues. <laughs> My mind is affected by learned behaviors. My mind is affected by uh, uh, life experience and history. If you take an individual that's known a lot of abuse and a lot of rejection and a lot of, the, of neglect, a lot of their thoughts are filtered through all of that abuse and all of that rejection and all of that neglect. But that God would not just call us out of sin and corruption to live with the same distorted thought process, but that he would heal and redeem our thinking so that we could begin to think outside of that a history that is abusive, that history that's filled with rejection, that history that's filled with neglect, and we could begin to think rightly in our present that we're loved, that we're valued, that we're empowered. And our decisions, our choices, our perspective could all be founded upon those things that are true, free from corruption. Now, the wonderful thing about this is that God's doing it. It, the challenging thing is that this is a process. This is happening in real time. No matter who you are as a believer, this is going on. And I'll give you a passage of scripture to, to bear witness of that from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. You can read the beginning of Romans 12 and find uh, more witness to this, but I specifically want to read to you verse 2. Verse 2 is this call to not be as the world is. It says, don't be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that then you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, I love everything about this passage with the exception of we don't really talk this way anymore. When I hear uh, the statement, so that I can prove what the will of God is, I picture winning an argument, testifying in court, offering evidence, or something like that. And the reality is, this is basically saying, have your mind renewed so that you won't be like the world and so that you'll do what the will of God is. Your life will be proof of what the will of God is. The choices and the decisions that you make will bear witness with the things that God wants and desires and the world will see the wonders of that righteousness and the release and the power of that holiness. And all of these things take place through the renewal of our mind. I mean, you take a passage of scripture like that and you begin to realize, God, if you're giving these gifts, I want to receive them. I want that power. I never want to feel hopeless a moment in my life. No matter what I face, I want there to always be options by your spirit 
by the anointing, by the gifts and the manifestations of your spirit, let me always be a man of hope. And, and let there be love, that there be no room for fear and anxiety to grip my life, but that this manifestation that always brings about victory and success would be present in and through me. And then let there be sound thinking, that my mind might be renewed, that I wouldn't think like the world thinks, that when I'm faced with problems, I wouldn't immediately think of vindication, but that I would think of your direction, your counsel, your will coming to pass. I wouldn't do the things that I want or that the world claims, but that I would do the things that are pleasing to you. And there's a reason why how you think is so important. When you consider the things God is doing, you have to consider who God is. And I'll, I'll be winding down with this, but I want to ask you to engage for a few more moments because I think this is a really powerful thing. And if this can be caught, it will forever change your life for the better. When I consider who God is, that he could choose any route that he so desires, then I look at the route that he's chosen being the renewal of my mind. I have to ask myself, why? And when I consider his heart for me, that he loves me unconditionally and that he always has my best interest in mind, I come into the awareness that, that this decision to operate through the renewal of my mind isn't just because that's how it has to be, but rather that's how God chooses to do this. And there must be some motive that is at work here that has my best interest in mind because I know my father loves me at all times. And there is a wonderful thing that's happening as God is renewing our mind. It's not just positioning us to do the things that are pleasing to him so that we look the part and we sound the part, but rather there's something really wonderful and powerful happening in my heart and in my mind that has a direct impact on my life. Not just so that the church can look good or that people can feel good, but that so that I can be healthy. Because God cares about my health and my well-being. He cares about your health and your well-being. He's at work in your heart and in your mind because how you think is really important. I want to give you a passage of scripture that we'll, we'll close with here. There's going to be a couple of them. But from the Proverbs uh, chapter 23 verse 7. I mentioned to you to find out you know, why your thoughts are so important. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says... As a person thinks within themselves, so they are. I mean, how you think is who you are. And I know so many people that are trying to change who they are by changing, you know, where they go or, or what they do. And all those things are seemingly noble on the outside, but it creates a roller coaster of success and failure, success and failure, high and low. I have moments where I've chosen wisely and moments where I've chosen poorly. There's righteousness and sin, righteousness and sin, righteousness and sin. Because we're attempting to discipline the action when, when really and truly if we want to change our life, you don't change just the things you do, you change how you think. And when you change how you think, the things that you do will follow. I want to change how I think. Why won't I go there? Because I value my life too much to waste it away. Why won't I give myself to her? Or why wouldn't I give myself to him? Because I value my life too much to see it squandered and sold so cheaply. I want to change the way that I think about myself. I want to change the way that I think so that I can change how I behave. And as I think, so I am. And as I begin to think the thoughts that are based on the truth 
that I'm loved, that I'm valued, that my life has purpose, that I carry power and solution for all of the world's problems, that I'm called, that I'm anointed, that I'm equipped to do the things that are pleasing to God for his glory, that I am part of the body of Christ to manifest the will of God on the earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit and walking in the authority of the name of Jesus. These are the things that make up who I am because these are the things that I commit to think about. as I think, so I am. There's another passage of scripture that we could give to bear witness with that. I'm going to pause it for today because I want to stop there. It would just say the same thing from another passage. And the reality is I don't think we need a a witness on that. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Because I want to pray. I want to make sure that we stay good on time. And I want to trust and believe God to do something great in your lives this morning. God is a giver of good gifts. If someone were to ask me, Preston, what are you passionate about? What is it that uh, you love to bring from the word? I, I think that any message involving the removal of fear and anxiety would probably be on that list. It's a bit of a life message for me personally, and there are reasons for that. So it's not uncommon to, to hear a, a message delivered by me concerning the removal of fear or anxiety or ministering to those things. But I don't want this message to fall into that category where it's like, wow, Pastor Preston talked about, you know, God taking fear out of your life again. It wouldn't be a bad thing, but what I want today's message to be is not what God's taking out of your life, but what he's putting in your life. The point of the message today was about the gifts that he's giving, that he's not giving fear, but that he is giving power, and that he is giving love, and that he is giving soundness of mind. I want to talk about those things because those are the things that I want us to walk away with. I mean, in a season of gift giving, I'd like for us to be in a position to receive and to receive the wonderful gifts that God is here to freely bestow upon you. Maybe there's one of those and you just know, man, I need that right now. I have fought some of the worst thoughts I've ever fought in my life. God, I need the gift of sound thinking. Perhaps you feel hopeless. I feel like there's nothing I can do. Like like it's it's just hopeless and I'm subject to situation and circumstance. There's nothing I can do. Then then that gift of power. God is present to give that gift of power so that you cannot be in a situation that's hopeless. And ultimately, that gift that is who he is, that gift of love. And there's something about love that is wonderfully liberating, not just what it does by casting out fear, but why it does that. Because to be loved by God means to be chosen and valued. We have a saying at my house, and and sometimes it's said, in really wonderful, uplifting, positive ways. And sometimes it's said in order to bring about correction, but what you choose is what you love. Well, if God loves me, then it bears witness with the rest of the scripture that says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And to be chosen, to know that, that you were selected, that options were viewed and weighed, and you were the one that were chosen, brings about all kinds of a sense of, of value and worth in your life that sets you free and liberates you from 
fear and anxiety and the corruption that comes with it. Those are the gifts that God's giving, and that's really what I want to pray, that today we would be receivers of God's good gifts. So I want to pray for you, and there where you stand, you can be in an attitude of agreement or you know, postured to receive, however you choose. But I want to trust and believe that God is present to give his gifts to you today. Father, we thank you for the word. You know every one of our needs. You open our hearts, soften our hearts. Let there be no room for pride or arrogance to interfere with us receiving from your hand. I'll be the first to cry out, I need your gifts. My heart be open to receive. My mind be surrendered to be forever affected by the work of your hand. Mold and shape everything that needs to be reworked to come into alignment with what's true. Let your gifts be bestowed upon your people for your glory. Let our hearts be open to receive right now in this moment. Everyone in desperate need of the gift of power Wash over them right now in your loving kindness and your goodness by your spirit with the awareness of the power bestowed upon them through the Holy Ghost and the work of their King Jesus. That there be no room for hopelessness to prevail. Let an awareness of every manifestation of power come to the surface that we might begin to see and release those gifts of the Holy Spirit into all that we would face and all that we would deal with. Let your gift of love wash over us. The awareness of worth and value that would come from knowing you've chosen us and selected us to be your own. And let its promise be fulfilled in each one of us. The driving out of all fear and anxiety. That our value and our worth would not be set by the past abuses, the past rejections. But let it be set by the present ransom paid for us by the blood of Jesus. Be honored and glorified as we accept our worth as your sons and daughters. And let your gift of sound thinking prevail in our hearts and our minds. That all deception would dissolve before the truth. The truth that you were, that you are, and that you will remain. That you're faithful, that you keep your promises. And that you've chosen, called, and equipped us to be your own. And all that we would see and all that we would face and all that we would deal with, let the truth prevail in our thoughts. That as we would think, so we would be. And let truth prevail then in our actions for your glory. We bless your name and we thank you for your wondrous gifts. Let us be a people that will receive. Receive in full measure that there would be no room to be corrupted in any way, but that we would be released into the likeness of our King Jesus to be and to do the things that are pleasing to you for your glory. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.